Hello and welcome to the Winners Never Quit podcast about mental resilience, learning from hardship, all to build a winner's mindset. Hosted by myself, Jack Jarvis. And if you could like, follow or subscribe to the podcast, I would really, really appreciate it. Today, I am joined by Hannah Stoddle. Now, Hannah is a four-time Paralympic sailor and world champion in the sonar class in 2005, 2006 and 2015. She now competes in Performance 40, Sail GP and Offshore Sailing. A motivational speaker, an all-round lovely person, Hannah joins me now. Welcome, Hannah. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thanks did for having me. Hey, thank you for coming on. Did you like that uh, intro, did I you? I did. <laughs> it's horrible when you hear someone talking about you like that. Why? <laughs> well, yeah, you are a lovely person and you well, have done you. all those things. So, you know, you should be, um, you, you deserve the chuck up. Thank you. So we start every podcast the same, Hannah. Mm-hmm. What defines winning to you? <laughs> that, oh, I don't know. For me, that's a really difficult question because... Quite often I look at my career and I'm like, oh my God, I don't realise what I've done, if that makes sense. And then yeah, it makes total like, sense. someone reminds you and you're like, oh, no, I did win like a load of stuff, like a load of trophies. But that is winning to me. And it probably sounds a bit weird because like gold medals are great and everything. But yeah, I think for me, it's achieving what I set out to do. Yeah. So finishing project or a dream or an ambition I think it's probably what it means to me maybe not becoming too goal driven more about the journey as well yeah I think you know which is bizarre from a GB athlete right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's literally on the wall yeah you've got to be goal driven (laughs) goal driven literally is like on the wall of the gym so yeah I think for me it's probably not ultimately about that gold medal which is bizarre because I that was what I hunted for like 16 years (laughs) for the Paralympics but yeah I think finishing what you set out to achieve is probably what winning looks like to me. No, oh, brilliant. Very interesting. So let's go way back. Mm-hmm. Tell us about your childhood and how you got into sailing. So both my parents are uh, super competitive human beings, I would say. So yeah, childhood on the water. We we all sailed and it was what we did. And I think for me, it was like a place where I could be like everybody else. So my disability didn't really matter. Like obviously I, I have a disability, but then I could go sailing and I wasn't disabled anymore. I was just with everybody else and competing and, and I loved it. Yeah. That level that level playing field, that's what sailing sort of brought to your life, would you would you say? You yeah, know? I think so. And I think like my parents gave me that platform, so they, they kind of allowed me to just be like everybody else by, you know, adapting a boat or whatever it was and supporting me in competitions and so they gave me that opportunity to just go and race and be normal. Yeah. A lot of people may have a disability. A lot of people may be into sailing. But what made you think, obviously you loved it, <laughs> but what made you think, oh, and what was the moment where you were like, this could be a, I could go to the Olympics? I think, like I started racing at about 13, like properly, national squad, all the rest of it. And I remember doing a TV interview after I'd won Young Sailor of the Year and I'm like, I'm going to the Olympics. And I was like, oh, blimey. No, actually I am. Like, this is where I'm aiming for. Like, this is what I want to do. Seeing all like the Sydney Olympians and thinking, yeah, I can do that. And I think that sort of put me on my path towards top end competition. Yeah. So that would win Sydney 2000? 2000. 2000, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what what was the Olympic, what was your first Olympics and what was that experience like? 
Athens. Yeah. <laughs> Epic. <laughs> it was totally overwhelming. And like, we went into it with completely the wrong mindset because everyone had said like, oh, just treat it like a normal everyday competition. But it's the games. Like, yeah. it's never going to be normal. <laughs> like, you know, suddenly there's free McDonald's and Coca-Cola <laughs> and like... An Athens absolute. Olympics doing <laughs> first thing you say there's free McDonald's well yeah and that was the thing as a young athlete you like you can get all of this stuff all of a sudden like in the village you can get like free haircuts and you can get massages and you can just do whatever you want kind of thing and it it was overwhelming because suddenly you're like oh my god I can eat all the chicken nuggets that I want because yeah. they're free and I've got this accreditation that says give me whatever free I want free chicken nuggets I'm <laughs> like, a big deal yeah exactly and so it gives you this completely bizarre sort of concept of actual competition because you're like oh my god everything's free and it's amazing and it's a circus yeah how 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 old were you when you went to Athens I just turned 18 when we went to Athens wow so that would have been pretty (laughs) pretty mad experience yeah it it was crazy what's it like in the village because you hit obviously (laughs) I've never experienced but you've got a load of young Mm -hmm. physically top performers Mm -hmm. surrounded by that environment (laughs) What's it like? <laughs> I mean, you hear all the stories, right? And then probably Tell, yeah. most, most of them are true. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, it's a bit of a zoo. It, it, yeah, it's crazy. Who so. parties the hardest? What nation? <laughs> I think the Brits, we've got a lot to answer for. We're pretty bad at behaving ourselves. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, we so, are. We are. Uh. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> so talk to us. We've talked about maybe the, the, like, the village, but mm. how did you perform at that Olympics? Um, we sailed really badly. I mean, we just... We tried to race normally and that wasn't where we were. And we were just really inexperienced. You know, we'd only been together as a team for a year at that point And we'd sort of, we'd come into it through winning a, a world, well, coming third in a world championship. So winning a trials and yeah, we weren't ready for it. Yeah. So yeah, sailed badly. <laughs> was it, um, it was in the sonar class, yeah? Yeah. Can you explain to people, and myself as well, <laughs> the sonar class and, you know, a little bit about how you compete it's not like a 100 meter sprint is it no you know, yeah so if could you explain that for people that maybe don't yeah. know yeah so the sonar's a well just under a ton of keel boat so big solid monohull boat with a big lump of lead on the bottom of it to keep it upright sailed by three people so i sailed with two guys john and steve absolute legends a pair of them um so in the sonar like with paralympic racing you have to be classified obviously as a disabled athlete and you're given a point score depending on your disability so like one is the most severely disabled so you're talking quadriplegic tetraplegic um up to seven so um one leg amputees um some level of blindness that sort of thing uh, in the sonar you then have to add up to 14 points so you get like a mix of disabilities depending on who's classified as what basically yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah john steve and myself were 14 points i'm six points steve's a double leg below knee amputee so he's six points john's uh quadriplegic so he's two what um there's been some recently about the sort of class in what do you make of it do you think it's fair what would you could you would you change anything about it <laughs> it's a really interesting one because like currently i sit on the committee for um world sailing as part of the executive because so this is something i've it yeah. was only really when um, our mutual friend was uh, with us in Herefordshire. David. David, who was the swimmer. Mm. Yeah. And he said, basically, politics and that. <laughs> he was, because they didn't want him, he was too old. Mm. So it's, yeah, something I 
I find quite interesting. Classification, like, to me, was always a really bizarre thing because it's really subjective. Like, they, they take a person and they do a load of tests and then they're like, oh, okay, well, you're this many points. But, of course, there's ways to cheat the system. Like, for instance, there was a, a sailor who was classified as blind, but then one day we saw him driving a car like, <laughs> and, yeah. and reversing a trailer under a boat that was hanging on a crane. Like, yeah. I can barely do that and I can see what I'm doing, right? So, so yeah. Like, <laughs> what level of blindness are yeah. we dealing with really so obviously you know there are ways to cheat the system so it's not it's not great but it's what we have at the moment and obviously there's a lot of work going into it to try and change it and make it a little bit fairer because you know there's all these stories you hear of olympic athletes suddenly appearing in the paralympics because they've had accidents and all the rest of it but yeah yeah <laughs> yeah really unfair it's you know we talk about cheating the system mm. so there's a friend of a friend in the military and got blown up in Afghan mm. he did lose a bit of his sight but questionable how much <laughs> he actually lost and when he went in for his review was he comes up on the board and he was like yeah there's no way I'm going to read them right <laughs> just read read out a random sort of numbers it was actually yeah. letters on the thing oh, right, cool. they were like Jesus these guys it's really blind yeah, yeah, these guys are so blind so yeah it's definitely something you, um, you can yeah you can work around. Yeah. Not saying that's the right thing to do. No. no. <laughs> People do it, so. Straight away, you said you performed badly. Mm. Coming away from that, how did you feel? Was it just, wow, you were happy to have the experience or did you feel disappointed or? I mean, yeah, we were heartbroken. Yeah. But, like, it's the game, so you want to you wanna do well. Like, it's, it's what we're aiming for. And I think, yeah, <laughs> it's difficult not to be heartbroken. We're competitive human beings, so, yeah. But then we were just like, right, what's next? Cool, Beijing, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> and how did you, how did your mindset change when it comes to training, preparation after that first experience? I think well, we changed coaches. Um, so we got a new coach in. Uh, Same team stuck together. Team stuck together. Like So John, Steve and myself, we stuck together through everything. And I think that was one of our greatest super strengths was that we, no matter what happened, like, yeah, we had some pretty severe up and downs, but no matter what happened, we stuck together. And that was kind of our team charter was that you stick it out and no matter what, even yeah. when the shit hits the fan, you're going to support each other. So I think that that definitely helped. And then bringing in a new coach, we wanted to work on some specific areas. So the tactics of racing, we wanted to work on the setup of the boat. So we brought in experts and yeah. we were a lot more targeted for Beijing. Yeah. When you say, um, explain the tactics when it comes to Olympic sailing. <laughs> I mean, sailing like looks when you watch it on the telly, it looks like, carnage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, no one knows what's happening. I mean, we don't know what's <laughs> happening on the water, so it's you know, it's a bit of a dark art. But as a tactician, you're basically taking wind data, what you can see visually. You're taking boat on boat maneuvers. You're looking at strategy long term. You know, like is the wind going to shift on this leg, and you're weighing it all up basically and processing information and making decisions so see <laughs> we've said you're really sort of at the at the mercy of the weather when it mm -hmm. comes to and so say take the 100 meter sprint yeah you know that is pretty much everyone is <laughs> the same race can people be like in the lead and they will just be unlucky the wind will change where they are and yeah. then they're out. Does that happen quite often? Oh yeah all the time like I've lost world championships based on a wind shift so you, you'll be happy, well positioned, out in front by a good good way and the wind will shift and you've not anticipated it or it's not forecast or whatever it is and 
the wind shifts and someone else gets lucky. And unfortunately, that is just sailing. What um, <laughs> What's the, probably been the worst time that's happened to you? Um, at, Well, at a world's, I think. Like, literally, the wind went... Where was this? Uh, it was in Sheboygan, Chicago. So, yeah, we were leading. We'd had a really good regatta, comfortable, like, winning comfortably. And last race is, like, a medal race. So it's do or die, basically. No matter what you've done in the series, it doesn't matter. So similar to... um. <laughs> Like in f- football, say the championship, the playoffs. Yeah, basically. You could be yeah in third, mm-hmm. one point off automatic promotion. Yeah, and then Derby County in sixth. Mm-hmm. Have the absolute blinder. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then yeah, they've won. So yeah. yeah, that's the kind of championship we were racing, and yeah, the wind completely died. Normally, like a race committee would then stop the race and wait for more wind, but they didn't. They let it run, and then all of a sudden, the boat that was last was suddenly in some pressure on like they'd banged a corner basically on the race course and just sailed around the whole fleet and won the championship. And you're just like, <laughs> you know, we've like sailed our hearts out, put everything into this regatta to just watch this Muppet that's basically last sail around you. So you're like, oh, great, <laughs> ideal. <laughs> I, d- I can, I sort of can imagine what that feels <laughs> like when I was rowing. Mm. You know, you've trained your body physically, the preparation and then when the wind's against you and you're just stuck on parachute anchor, yeah. there is literally nothing you can do. Just wait. How did you deal with that? Because I know on the row, mm-hmm. it didn't actually, those are the times it didn't make me that sad because I was like, it is completely out of my control. <laughs> but yeah. how how did you get over that? I mean, I... Because le- when I yeah. said there was less on the line, there was a lot on the <laughs> line, but I wasn't racing anyone. You know, so I mm-hmm. knew once the wind sort of subsided. Yeah, so how did you deal with that? I think I'm I'm terrible at like taking on a lot of the blame, especially as a tactician. Like I would immediately go, "Well, that's my fault. I should have spotted that wind, or I should have thought about that, or I should have planned that." Even I when it's something, that's, I wouldn't say that's terrible at taking the blame. <laughs> I'd say that's that is really is taking accountability and taking mm. a lot of the blame. I, yeah. I'd probably say maybe you struggle to like let things go maybe <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and um yeah I, I really do so i would take it all on board and like the first night after any sort of loss like that i would be a terrible human being <laughs> just want to shut myself off from the team and be like oh my god i should have seen that i should have done this should have should have should have and we ended up banning the word should have from any conversation any self-thought like it was one of the banned words so yeah yeah that moist as well. You know? And moist, yeah, get rid of that word. <laughs> oh, no, I actually don't really mind it. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to no, text it to you every day It is now. a banned word. <laughs> <laughs> we talked to sort of about dark times there. Mm. And what would you say has been one of the biggest hardships in your life career? Mm. And what have you learned from it? And what lessons did you take away from that? I think, well, London 2012, <laughs> losing a medal, um, that does things to your head definitely um and especially as it wasn't our fault like it wasn't anything john steve or myself did that like cost us that medal basically it was someone else's actions so that yeah what happened there (laughs) uh well it depends who you listen to according to greenpeace we hit a whale um we didn't (laughs) but basically during the london 2012 games um all your boats stay in the water for the competition period but you can swim them so obviously you can wash them yeah, yeah. in the water you know this from yeah, rowing yeah, yeah, right yeah. this is what happens so, so. i'll explain so <laughs> when a boat's in the water for a prolonged period of time algae barnacles mm. stuff will form on the on the the hull 
Yeah. That's the bottom part of the boat. And um, I would get out every sort of two weeks just with a <laughs> same thing you use for your windscreen on your car and just basically take all them off. And yeah. people are often ask, I said, does it really make that bit of a difference? Mm-hmm. used to make like a knot of difference for yeah. me. Yeah, it's huge. When we're talking fine margins, Olympics. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so you're saying you swim the, swam yeah, the boats. Yeah, so the, 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 the bosun, the guy that looked after our boats, would get in every morning, polish the boats down, like wash them off to so make sure they were completely smooth. Um, one morning, he found there was some damage on the keel, so the thing that sticks out the bottom of the boat. Anything that sticks out the bottom of the boat needs to be smooth. Yeah. Like otherwise it's gonna damage your performance. So we had this damage. We're kind of sure it happened in twenty twelve, like in Portland Harbour, we had like this pen to race in so that no one could get to us basically. So it was like chains and boys all the way around. We're kind of certain that as they opened a pen, we clipped it on the way out. Hmm. So there's damage anyway. So we end up racing one day with the damage because there's nothing we can do about yeah. it. So it's the morning of racing. Um, we crane out that evening so we get permission to lift the boat obviously to inspect damage and that happens at this point the boat's on the crane nothing we can do this is a support staff kind of role now to fix the boat get it ready for racing next day so john steve and myself leave like we actually leave the venue and go back to the village and at some point our bosun told a member of the measuring staff so an official to f off oh yeah so that was charming um and (laughs) we didn't know any of this had happened until the next morning we came down uh, look at the notice board and we've got four points all of a sudden on our score and we've dropped from third to fifth (laughs) like what the hell (laughs) like some kind of mistake like a scoring error you know what's happened kind of thing and then it obviously it all comes out in the wash of what's happened that he's done this and um yeah so we ended up in a load of fights load of protests in front of a jury like it ended up in the court of arbitration for sport it went that far and yeah nothing we could do and then to add insult to injury we didn't race anymore at the games because there was no wind so there's nothing we could do about it so we couldn't even get the the points back we couldn't rate you know we were one point off silver that night when we'd gone to bed and then we weren't we were fifth that might, i can't even imagine how tough that would have been <laughs> yeah to have it, it taken away from you like that yeah and to then like go through endless protests in front of the jury like arguing like you know why aren't they penalizing the support staff member you know there'd been incidents in the week where the italians were found to have a mobile phone on the race course and their support crew had been punished and banned from the competition why hadn't that happened to us kind of thing? Like, why aren't they throwing our boats now? Yeah. You know, rather than penalising us who weren't even there. Yeah. Like, you know, had I told the guy to F off, I could understand Standing, it. But yeah. what, how long did that process take before it was finally, that's uh, it, appealed? Like, we were a year in with court and all the rest of it. So, yeah, we had a whole legal team fighting our battles. And, yeah, it was grim. How did you move on from that, Hannah? How, or is it something that still, still bugs you? It definitely you know, bugs n- me. Ten, like, ten years on, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I still see the guy, the, the bosun, and I have to resist the urge to run him over every time I drive past him. And Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have minded had he apologised. Never apologised. He's never apologised, and he still believes he did nothing wrong. Um, so, yeah, that, that's that been hard to stomach, because, you know, when you've cost someone their games, like, and you're still, you've still got a job at the end of the day as well. You're still doing the same job for the British sailing team. That's quite hard to deal with. Um, but yeah, I think the 
the biggest thing was like John, Steve and myself, like we came away from 2012, obviously in limbo, like not knowing whether we're going to get this medal back or not. And it was, it was a really tough time. Like John and Steve both stopped sailing. Uh, I ended up doing like my coaching tickets and just working with other teams and trying to <laughs> keep going, but not knowing if we're going to come back and, and go again. Um, so that was, yeah, it was like a, a year of like, oh my God, what's happening? Like, are we going for Rio? Are we not going for Rio? Like we need to get moving if we are, but what's happening kind of thing. Did you, did you go end up going for Rio? Yeah, we came so, back so, together. Yeah, you came back. <laughs> yeah. So how did, how did, it, how did you bring the team back together? We basically had loads of chats. Um, we ended up losing our coach uh, over 2012. He was pretty heartbroken. So yeah, we got a new coach and then basically just sat down and we're like, right, what are we, what are we gonna do? Like, how are we gonna make this work? Are we gonna change anything? And yeah, just talked it out basically. Yeah, so communication sort of helps yeah. you through that, that, that yeah. process. Yeah, and, and just having then very strict rules, like, you know, who is in our circle? Who are we gonna allow? to do these things and we're never going to put ourselves in a position where we're no longer in control. Like, and that became, you know, the fact that we'd trusted a member of a support team to do their job, we were never going to do that again. Yeah. And we were pretty clear on that. Yeah. Like, so talk us through the process, like <laughs> Rio and, and how was that? Was it, was, was there, mo- I can imagine there was more pressure in mm. 2012 because it is your home games, and, yeah. you know, and cause you'd face that low, did it maybe make Rio a little bit easier or not? Or how was that How was that process? I think we were a lot more like skilled at, at being at the games, if that makes yeah. sense. Like I think we knew what so this, to expect. This would have been your fourth time as well. Yeah, fourth it? time at the games. Like, yeah, we know what to expect. We know what's coming. We've got everything planned to the nth degree. Like we had spare boats with us. Like for London, we, we'd changed boats at the last minute and like everything was a bit chaotic and you know, we'd pushed really hard, but actually for Rio, we were like, we're going to leave no stone unturned. Like, this is ready. We're taking all our kit with us. We're taking all the people we need with us and the right people. They're never going to be unattended. Like, we had what ifs coming out of our ears. <laughs> we were prepared. That was the bottom line. Yeah. How um, how was the sailing and, and how did the Rio's sort of pan out <laughs> performance-wise? Uh, yeah. Uh, we sailed like donkeys. Complete donkeys. Um, like, I think we came last in one race, so it was pretty crap um and then like towards the end of the week something just clicked in the boat and we started winning races and started doing well and then uh, we got into a bit of a fight with the american team and unfortunately we got disqualified so <laughs> that goes another games yeah oh. <laughs> the, hey, these things happen you know sailing at the end of the Sa- day hey, like, sailing, and yeah. it's how hard you push things and you know we're competitive people and you know that is what it is. <laughs> We've talked about, you know, maybe your hardest moment in your career, mm-hmm. lowest moment, but what's been one of the high points? <laughs> if I you th- can pick just one. Oh, just one. Um, well, you can pick a few if you want. No, just one. Like, finishing um, round Britain and Ireland race. Yeah. Like, and actually having... How long does that take on a sailboat? We did it in 11 days, 10 hours. So, yeah, it was pretty punchy. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, <laughs> it was uh, not a lot of sleep. What what rotations are you doing? So, we did four hours on, four hours off. Yeah. Um, in the middle of the day, we ran um, all four crew on deck. Yeah. So, we could just check in and, like, chat and chill yeah. out together and have lunch together. And, yeah. So, that was pretty fun. But, yeah, everyone 
going into that race had told me I couldn't do it and that offshore sailing wasn't really my thing and that you know I didn't have enough experience to lead a team and to sail offshore like that and then yeah just getting to the finish line and actually being the first female skipper and then like oh actually we've done some record breaking here because no one disabled's done this yet and I've just done it and it's like yeah flipping egg okay this is pretty cool like I can now do this offshore stuff and you'd and you'd rate that higher than winning world champion three world championships yeah I mean don't get me wrong like I loved what I did now I look back on it with the Paralympic stuff and you know it was great it was a journey but actually that was a journey in a team whereas starting my offshore sailing that's for me and that's something I've always wanted to do and I've always wanted to push myself so yeah that was that was Hannah Stodal racing (laughs) so that was a pretty powerful moment for me it was like I can do this now Amazing. What's, what are the big differences between offshore sailing and um, sonar class? Um, well, sleeping. Sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like the sonar, our races were like an hour at a time. Yeah. And we do maybe two, three a day. And then you come in and you have dinner and you go to sleep and yeah, you sleep in a bed. bed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, and it's lovely. But offshore sailing, you know, like rowing, you leave. And when you leave, that's it for X number of days, X number of weeks, X number of months. And you take what you need to live basically and it's not very pleasant as you know sleeping on a moving platform is not fun yeah no it's um <laughs> it's funny because i get asked did you have a river row before you ocean run I said nah <laughs> and they're like a bit and it blows people's minds yeah. and I'm like, but they are two completely different yeah it's it's almost it's not even like rugby union rugby league it's like mm. rugby and um table tennis <laughs> yeah like you say river rowing you, ro- yeah, you race up and down done you know, ocean rowing, you go like 14 hours, mm. get your head The only thing I will say about sleeping on a moving platform, mm. once you've rowed for 14 hours, getting, yeah, your, head da- you can pass out getting, anyway. getting your head down is not an issue. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you still like... Oh, it's this, yeah, the same. You come by off... By like day off, three. Yeah, off deck in full offshore gear, covered, like completely piss wet through and pass out on whatever is available. <laughs> like any sail. Like if you make it to the bunk, you're bloody lucky. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah no. Face first on, on something and hope for the best. Having competed world championships, um, uh, Olympics, you know, what motivates you to keep going? You know, because you're still racing now after having all that success. (laughs) Success, yeah. Mm, I'm not sure I term it as that. It's so hard because I'm (laughs) here sat here and I'm like, I've never been to the Olympics. Show me. But I get it. But I do get it, Mm. you know. Yeah. I'm not there yet with my, what I deem as successful. Yeah, like it takes quite a lot to look back, and it's an argument I, I, I have with I do quite get a few it, yeah. I get it. <laughs> of my mentors at the moment. Like, wow, look at what you've done. I'm like, mm, yeah, it's hardly anything. Like, yeah. I've, I've got loads more to do. So, yeah. So, what? So, so how was your motivating change? I'm guessing you were motivated back then by gold know, medals. Yeah, gold medals. Gold medals. <laughs> so, what what motivates you now? Achieving what I set out to achieve. Like I said, I'm going to do the Vendée Globe and. I'm going to do the Vendée Globe and... Can you explain that? Because <laughs> I'm nodding like that, like I know what you mean, but... So, the Vendée Globe is oh, a... the Vendée Globe. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> now you've said it three times, the penny's dropped. That's it. Uh, it's an offshore race uh, yep. around the world. Okay. Uh, non-stop, solo. So, yeah. So, starts... Own. In France, come out, turn left, head to the bottom, turn left. Keep turning left until you find France again, basically. Yeah. How so. many... I can't... How many women have done... So now we're up to I think it's ten, ten yeah. women. So any, I'm guessing no one disabled or one disabled now. 
um, yeah. Damien. So he was a French Paralympian. Yeah. Um, so he's done it, unfortunately. I wanted that title, first yeah. disabled. But, you know, I'll take first disabled female. That's fine. Exactly. So wh- He ain't going to beat me there. <laughs> how does that race work? When are you looking to do that? And, and how long does that take? <laughs> so that's every four years. As The next one's 2024. So obviously time's tight now. But, you know... Stranger things have happened. So it's like a constant hunt for sponsorship and funding and to get going and to get the right boat. You know, I'm sailing 40 footers at the moment, but I need to be in a 60 footer. So yeah, there's a, there's a timeline. If we don't make this one, we just go for the next one. So 2028, that is just what we'll do. And we'll keep going until we make it. How have you found getting corporate sponsorship? Because it was hard like during (laughs) a pandemic, Yeah, you know, on the back of Brexit. How have you found it? Yeah, really hard like yeah. way harder than the sailing like everyone's like oh my god offshore sailing like it's such a hard thing to do like my god the sailing's easy <laughs> like mm. i would kill to be out on the ocean with very little troubles except for my boat and myself and keeping myself alive that's basically the easy part of it yeah. corporate sponsorship especially now where we are no one knows what's happening everyone's protecting the economy like everyone's protecting their own companies and that's that's where we are you know it has been a real struggle what um what's what sort of the budget that you need <laughs> for the Vendée Globe for the Vendée Globe uh, around five million <laughs> Jesus <laughs> flip but it that's up. a really cheap <laughs> a really cheap campaign yeah like for you know you look at the likes of Alex Thompson and the Hugo Boss campaign like if you if you know one boat it's the boss boat you know yeah. big black covered in boss basically yeah. yeah his campaigns upwards of 15 million so i'm a cheap campaign yeah, compared yeah, yeah. To alex hopefully this helps if anyone's listening you never know like <laughs> hey hit me up if yeah. you want to sponsor me to go that's the thing like people don't and you know what you said like people don't realize how hard it is just to get to the start line. i never said an ocean road yeah. you probably heard it <laughs> hardest part of rolling ocean is getting to the start line same with sailing like all these logistics mm. backroom stuff yeah is so hard how long is is the race itself so the record at the moment is 74 days. So, yeah, I, I've i always said sub 100, I'd be kind of happy. But the little racing gremlin will be out since I get off the start line. I'll be yeah. pushing as hard as I can. Yeah, cool. So how many people <laughs> are in the race, like sort of year on year? They normally cap around 30. Um, yeah. There's around 42 teams at the moment that are going to go for it. So we'll see. Um, I think they will extend the entry just because there's so many people interested now. Yeah. It's a big race in France. Like it's bigger than UEFA in france really like they teach the vendee in school yeah like they're really into offshore racing so yeah it's quite cool yes uh those um obscure, but they they are into their like football and rugby but they love their like their road cycling as well yeah you know I mean? <laughs> they love obscure sports Obsc- like obscure yeah sports. but it, human endurance i think is the biggest thing for the french and the vendee is that like yeah. can you stay alive for this many days and push a 60 foot boat on your own like yeah yeah it's pretty cool would that what would sort of shift happen? That would, would that be two on, two off or something like no, that? No. That's nap when you can. Yeah, nap when you can. <laughs> like literally 20 minutes if you're lucky. Yeah. yeah. Solo sailing is, is grim for sleep. Yeah. Absolutely No, I can, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, if you were to get to the start line, would that would that be like a pinch me moment? Like, whoa. Yeah. And you finally sort of... Have you had one of those moments in your life? Um, yeah. Well, leaving for around Britain and Ireland, like with my family and my team on the rib and just like oh god we're about to go like jesus yeah. <laughs> my first big offshore race and just like oh, wow okay yeah we're here what were, what were your emotions going through in your head i was terrified yeah like absolutely you know like it's fine if i'm gonna kill myself offshore like 
you're kind of okay with that like that's the risk I signed up for but then taking a team that for me was the hardest thing to deal with because it's like not only am I going to kill myself I'm going to kill these three guys that I've got with me and that like taking on that sort of leadership for the first time that was pretty tough because I was like if I get this wrong there's three other people on this boat with me right now like I'm okay with me and the risk I've I've signed up for the risk but these guys you know I say yeah exactly (sighs) the same when I was set off from Portugal solo Mm. I thought exactly the same as you but I could be terrified yeah you know I could have all these emotions and people say oh when 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 did you think oh what am I doing I said in the first four hours (laughs) yeah you know what I mean I was like you silly silly boy Jack look what you've signed up for (laughs) but I can imagine the pressure Mm you know of people relying and i say people weren't relying on me i didn't want to let anyone down no but how did how did you in your own mind get rid of that imposter syndrome that you were the right person for this job to lead this team round? i don't think i ever did to be honest for the whole race i think like it it took quite a lot of processing afterwards because we had so many problems around the race course. You know, we lost all our electrics by about day two. Ideal. (laughs) Ideal, yeah. We hit something, we were sinking at one point, like having communication with the office. Like I remember calling Alex, um, he's my tech guy, in the office on the sat phone and just being like, "Uh, this is going very badly wrong right now. Like we're taking on water. Like I've got to make a decision. Like do we get off the boat? Do we leave the boat? Like, And he's like, unfortunately only you can make this decision I'm like oh my god this is a, like I don't know what to do like do what, what happened there we'd how hit- did that pan out because obviously you live <laughs> yeah, I mean like, spoiler alert oh yeah um so basically we we stopped the water coming in and yeah that was that but it was at the time it was like a lot of the boats around us because we were in a pretty crap weather system where were you just off island okay so yeah it was a big decision so it's like, do we stop and pull into Ireland where we'll be safe? Or do we just go, right, cool, let's carry on with so the you, race. You hit something and then that... started. We started taking on water. Did you manage to bung the hole? I'm yeah, we yeah. did. How big was it? It wasn't big at all. No. But it's an alarming amount of water yeah, gets in yeah. boats when there's tiny, tiny holes. Yeah. It was, there was a little while where we were like searching. Like, oh my God, where is this water coming from? Like, oh, what is leaking basically? And yeah, it was just it was stressful yeah. and it was a really interesting lesson for me on how people dealt with stress because I knew how I dealt with stress I would have a good flap a good scream probably cry a bit eat some chocolate and then crack on whereas the guys I was with it was really interesting to watch who I thought was the strongest become a problem and who I thought was the least experienced become just bomb proof and mm. so for me it was a real learning <laughs> learning point about understanding people's personalities and understanding how they deal with things so yeah it was stressful (laughs) what lessons do you take away from that about leadership and like management like managing a team I think the biggest thing for me was like I I needed to take a moment and I I remember getting on deck and I remember putting my hand on the deck and just taking a breath and then go this is what we need to do this is what this is the, the situation and this is what we're going to do. And that moment, that breath was so powerful because I just calmed down. Whereas one of the guys was flipping out, like freaking out, <laughs> screaming, shouting, <laughs> all the rest of it. And for me, it was like, if I'm going to lead him, I need to be calm. So I was like, oh, God, okay, right. 
right, this is where we are. This is what we need to do. We're going to do these things. And if this doesn't work, we're going to do this. And like actually being able to take that moment was so, so powerful. And actually being okay with taking that moment as a leader, just going, right, I'm going to step back for a second. I need to calm down. Okay, cool. Now I can deal with it. So that was powerful. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Taking that condor moment, that step back and having mm-hmm. a deep breath when you when things yeah. maybe aren't going wrong. <laughs> yeah. Because like we said, humans, I am terrible at like, <laughs> you know snapping at people mm. not maybe not snapping at people but saying stuff like in the moment mm. when i've just not thought about things yeah you know and like we saw it <laughs> when we were working at together. work yeah yeah at work um <laughs> yeah certainly um so you've touched on it there sort mm. of what you learn you know about leadership and, and management but what did that experience and i'm not just talking about when mm. you nearly sank what did that experience teach you about yourself I think it showed me I was a lot tougher than I'd given myself credit for. Like, just the the mental power to just go, these are the decisions we're making. And it would have been really easy to just sell into Ireland and go, cool, I'm out, I'm yeah. done. Like, but that would have been the race over for you. Would have been the race over. Like, it's a non-stop race. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's game over. And watching, you know, AIS and, you know, watching your competitors pull, like, pull out of the race. And not many people actually finish the race. So, for me, it was like you made of some pretty tough stuff and you need to give yourself some credit for that. You know, it was a grim race. <laughs> some really horrible moments, but you made it to the finish line and you did that yourself. And so that, that for me was like, yeah, cool. Okay. Wow. You did that. Yeah. Right, so having that hardship to <laughs> validate yourself, I know exactly what you, <laughs> yeah, you know, my God, <laughs> but you need to put your, put yourself out there. Mm. You You've know, got to try. Yeah, yeah. What would would you, what would be your advice to anybody sort of thinking about it, doing something like that? It's a good. I would say it's a good thing. Would yeah, you know, for sure. Like you've got to just go. You've got to try it. Like you, there'll be people telling you you can't. Left, yeah. right, and centre. Like I had the night before, a very good friend ring me up and say, "Don't go. This is the terrible idea. You can't do this." Really. Like and just like. There's going to be those how did, people. How did that make you feel? Oh, I was horrendous. I was in floods of tears. Like, oh my God, this is someone I respect. And they're telling me I can't do this. Yeah. And I've got to get on the boat tomorrow morning, like, to go and do this race. Like, all my sponsors have put money into this. You know, I've got a whole team. Like, our parents are here. We've got massive charter ribs coming. Like, I can't go, I can't pull out now. What are you talking about? Yeah. And just that belief in yourself that you can do it is just so powerful because you're going to get those muppets that do phone you up and yeah. go you can't do this are you still or... friends with them now no no <laughs> did they ever apologize no funnily enough but that that's when you know who's got your back yeah and there are other people that say you can do it yeah. you gotta go it's um i had a friend ask not 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 where nowhere near the same <laughs> but a friend asked me before i started the row okay. and he goes oh should we do it as a pair <laughs> and I was give like, "Give me that get out!" Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's true. I, I, yeah. I went through exactly the same thought process as yourself. Mm. My sponsors, everyone has backed me to do this as a solo. Yeah, I can't now, and it because it, I can't now back out and say no. oh, I wasn't up for it. But I said to him, "I said, why didn't you tell me this like right at the start?" <laughs> When I was organising yeah, everything, when I was organising, pitch it. it as a pair rather than yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. exactly. And oh, it's it's so bizarre because it's still doing an incredible thing. Mm. But when you do something like that, like solo, it's 
it's, it's another yeah, feeling. It's another feeling. I'm sure that's the same with like the Vendée Globe. Yeah. You know, to do something like that on your own. Yeah. People know you're not messing around there. <laughs> and Hopefully that, not. Yeah, yeah. Is, is, that, is that something that draws you? Because am I right in saying everything you've done so far has been at like part of, part of a team? Yeah, pretty much. It's, yeah. All, it's all team stuff or double-handed. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. It takes a whole army of human beings to get you to the start line. Nope. As you know, yeah, as you know, know yeah, there's yeah, a yeah. lot of backroom yeah. people. There's a lot of people supporting you. But yeah, to actually physically sail that boat over the start line on your own and set off for what could be... 100 plus days at sea is that sort of the average for the yeah yeah with just you and your boat that's pretty cool yeah it's pretty that's what i want pretty gnarly <laughs> um that sort of brings us nicely <laughs> to the back end of the podcast but i've got one final question for you hannah mm-hmm. if you could give yourself um any advice you know a young hannah something you wish you'd known about them what would it be keep going keep going just keep going because Throughout my whole career, someone has said something like, you can't do this. Disabled people can't do this. Whatever it is, just keep going. You, you just If you've got something in your mind, challenge, whatever it is, ignore the perception and just keep going. Yeah. No. And that's a great place to end <laughs> the podcast, Hannah. Thank you so much for coming on. Really no appreciate problems. it. Guys, that is the end of the episode today. And if you enjoyed it, if you could please Give us a follow, like, subscribe, as it really helps grow the podcast. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. Hannah, thank you so much. Really appreciate that. No worries.